Uh, the reading is taken from Joel chapter 3. In those days and at that time, when I restore the fortunes of Judah and Jerusalem, I will gather all nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. There I will put them on trial for what they did to my inheritance, my people Israel. Because they scattered my people among the nations and divided up my land, they cast lots for my people and traded boys for prostitutes, they sold girls for wine to drink. Now what of you against me, Tyre and Sidon, and all your regions of Felicia? Are you repaying me for something I have done? If you repay me back, I will swiftly and speedily return on your own heads what you have done. For you took my silver and my gold, and carried off my finest treasures to your temples. You sold the people of Judah and Jerusalem to the Greeks, that you may send them far from their homeland. See, I am going to rouse them out of the places to which you sold them, and I will return on your own heads what you have done. I will sell your sons and daughters to the people of Judah, and they will sell them to the Sabaeans, a nation far away. The Lord has spoken. Proclaim this among the nations. Prepare for war. Rouse the warriors. Let all the fighting men draw near and attack. Beat your plowshares into swords, and your pruning hooks into spears. Let the weakling say, I am strong. Come quickly, all you nations from every side, and assemble there. Bring down your warriors, Lord. Let the nations be roused. Let them advance into the valley of Jehoshaphat, for there I will sit to judge all the nations on every side. Swing the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Come, trample the grapes, for the winepress is full, and the vats overflow. So great is their wickedness. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. For the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. The sun and moon will be darkened, and the stars no longer shine. The Lord will roar from Zion, and thunder from Jerusalem. The earth and the heavens will tremble, but the Lord will be a refuge for his people, a stronghold for the people of Israel. Then you will know that I, the Lord your God, dwell in Zion, my own holy hill. Jerusalem will be holy. Never again will foreigners invade her. In that day the mountains will drip new wine, and the hills will flow with milk. All the ravines of Judah will run with water. A fountain will flow out of the Lord's house, and will water the valley of Acacias. But Egypt will, will be desolate, Edom a desert waste. Because of violence done to the people of Judah, in whose land they shed innocent blood. Judah will be inhabited forever, and Jerusalem through all generations. Shall I leave their innocent blood unavenged? No, I will not. The Lord dwells in Zion. This is the word of the Lord. This week we come to the final section of Joel's prophecy, and uh, what a helpful book I think it's been for us as we've reflected on this prophecy that God gave during a time of unprecedented devastation for his people, I think we've heard him speaking to us in our present-day situation. At that time, as in ours, a, a plague had swept over um, the Lord's people. It had brought the economy to a halt, 
It had endangered the lives of every man, woman, and child. It even prevented God's people from being able to gather together in worship. Um, though the details were different, uh, the plague then was a plague of locusts, uh, and the plague today is, is obviously a viral plague, but the principles, even if the details differ, the principles remain astonishingly relevant. In chapter 1 we saw that in circumstances of either personal or societal devastation, the believer's first job is to face up to the reality and to lament before the Lord. Uh, we know that we can't do anything in this situation. Uh, and so we bring the situation to God, asking uh, the only one who can do something about it to do something about it. And then, in the first half of chapter 2, we saw that devastation is meant to, uh, to point us towards the coming day of judgment, the day of the Lord, and to lead us to repent. If our feelings of fear and vulnerability uh, lead us, to repent, to turn away from our sin and to the Lord Jesus, then this pandemic will turn out to our good. And last week, in the second half of chapter 2, we saw that uh, for the sake of God's own name, He rescues. He rescues His people and blesses them with His life-giving Spirit. Now, we don't know whether God will preserve our lives from uh, this virus or not. We don't know whether he'll preserve our businesses from collapse or not. But whether in life or in death, in wealth or in poverty, Christians have a sure and certain hope, which is this. As Joel wrote last week as we looked at chapter 2, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so we have that hope. Despite terrible trials that God's people were facing, ultimately Joel's prophecy is a prophecy of hope. God is in control and he has brought this trial uh, for our good and for his glory. Rescue is coming. That's Joel's uh, message behind his prophecy. Rescue is coming. But then here in the final chapter of Joel's prophecy. Uh, the, the addressees turn from being um, God's people to the nations. A new audience in mind with a new message for that audience. And so as we attend to these verses together, I just want to highlight two main points. The first is that the Lord's terrifying judgment will be deserved. And the second is that the Lord's terrifying judgment has been delayed. So first, the Lord's terrifying judgment will be deserved. This last prophecy is directed toward the nations. And in Bible language, the nations are uh, every nation that is not the nation of Israel, God's people. Under the Old Covenant, Israel was exclusively uh, the people of God. Uh, they were chosen by God and were meant to display his character to the world around them. He rescued them from slavery in Egypt, you'll remember, from uh, the book of Exodus, and gathered them into his land. He gave them a law so that uh, the way they lived together as a nation would reflect something of who he was uh, to the people around them. 
He gave them His Word, and He sent them His prophets, and He gave them His special presence in His temple. And they were in every way marked out as His nation. But the nations, by contrast, uh, the other nations, they served other gods. And uh, they displayed the character of other gods in the way that they lived together. And so, for example, the false god Baal was cruel and warlike. And so, uh, that is the character of the peoples that served him. Uh, the false god Molech demanded child sacrifice. And so, the, the people that served Molech valued prosperity over their own families. Uh, Ashtoreth promised fertility. She was a fertility goddess. And so the people that served her made sexual exploitation part of their way of life. And we can probably recognize the fingerprints of all those gods on our own cultures and, and possibly the fingerprints of other false gods. Uh, and it's evidence that um, we are not the Lord's people if we are acting in those sorts of ways. Now, this false worship, this corrupt way of life, is evidence that nations are not the Lord's people. And far from being simply confused, uh, these nations are in active rebellion against the Lord. And nowhere is this national hatred for the Lord uh, seen more clearly than in how they treat the Lord's people. Now, we read the charges against them in verses 1 to 3. The Lord says uh, that in that same era that He pours out His Spirit on all flesh, He will pour out His judgment on all nations. And here are the charges, verses 1 to 3. In those days, and at, at that time, when I restore the fortunes of Judah and Jerusalem, I will gather all nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. And there I will put them on trial for what they did to my inheritance, my people Israel, because they scattered my people among the nations and divided up my land. They cast lots for my people and traded boys for prostitutes. They sold girls for wine to drink. Now you can hear God's indignation at this. You know, my people, my heritage, my land, my people. How dare they treat what is mine in that way? And what is the crime of the nations? Well, they've scattered the people that the Lord has gathered. Uh, they've divided the land that the, the Lord has united. And in their arrogance, they have sold the Lord's beloved people for the fleeting pleasures of a prostitute or a bottle of wine. In short, they have despised uh, what the Lord has loved. They've abused and, and used and, and disposed of it as they pleased. And in effect, the Lord is saying precisely what Jesus then goes on to say a, a few centuries later about his followers. Jesus said this, you might remember, whatever you do to one of the least of these my brothers, you do to me. Uh, the Lord so identifies with His people uh, that what the nations do to His people, they do to the Lord. To treat what God loves with arrogant indifference and contempt is to treat God Himself 
with indifference and contempt. Parents, you'll know something of this in your experience with your children, the, the other children or maybe the teachers or, or adults who treat your child well, you're well disposed towards them. Uh, you like them. Uh, the people who treat your child badly, uh, those who bully them, well, you just want to throttle them, right? Because you love your child. And so uh, those who love your child you love, and those who don't, you don't. And that is how God uh, treats his beloved. Out of love for them, he cares what happens to them. And so what will he do? Well, he will bring retribution for the evil in the Valley of Jehoshaphat. Now you won't find this valley on a map anywhere. Uh, and I don't think this is a, a reference to Jehoshaphat the king in, in the Book of Kings. Rather, the meaning of the name Jehoshaphat means Yahweh has judged. The valley of Yahweh's judgment is the parallel to the valley of decision mentioned in verse 14. And it isn't a location, it, it's a time. It's the day of judgment which Joel has been pointing us towards uh, the whole time in his book, the day of the Lord. Verse 14 says this, multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision, for the day of the Lord is near for the, in the valley of decision. Now that day, multitudes, every single person, living and dead, will stand before the Lord and he will judge with equity. It's a reference to his final judgment over the living and the dead. And what will that day be like? Well, verses 4 to 8 give us uh, a specifically applied example of that more general time of judgment. Look at verse 4. He says this, I will return your payments on your own head swiftly and speedily. Tyre and Sidon, they have taken what is precious to the Lord, my silver, my gold, my finest treasures, my people, mine, and they've scattered it. And the Lord says he will return the same on their own heads by scattering their sons and their daughters into uh, slavery in the nations. Now, the punishment the Lord gives fits the crime. And what's true specifically for Tyre and Sidon is true for the judgment more broadly, more generally. And it serves as a great warning. What does this have to do with us? It's a great warning. We spoke last week of how God's people respond to the present trials with repentance and faith. If they do that, the Lord promises them a hopeful future. In chapter 2, uh, we saw that he promised to repay the years that the locusts had eaten and send it his life-giving spirit. And then at the end of chapter 3, we even get more of that promise of blessing. He promises that the mountains will drip with new wine, the, the hills will flow with milk, and his people will never be put to shame. And everyone who puts their, name, puts their faith in the, the Lord Jesus Christ uh, can take hold of those promises for themselves. The Lord is gathering a people for himself from all nations, the church, 
and He's pouring His Spirit out into our hearts. And whatever trials and whatever difficulties we face here, uh, we know, because the Lord has promised it, we know that there is resurrection life and new creation life uh, that we will experience with Him forever. And what a glorious future all Christians can look forward to, uh, no matter what the circumstances around them are. We have hope. Even in the middle of a pandemic, we have hope. But chapter 3 is a warning uh, to those who despise everything the Lord loves. Uh, his judgment will be terrifying. It's addressed to those who reject His beloved Son, Jesus, and look on His new covenant people with derision, the church. Everyone who persecutes Christians from uh, the organized perse persecution of governments and people groups to the, the petty persecutions that we experience in our offices, our schools, and maybe even our families, uh, they will all be repaid by the Lord. Every person who takes the Lord's gifts that He has given and rejects the giver, uh, they will be rejected. Every individual who hears of the love of Christ and shows uh, that He has shown for them on the cross and says, oh, not for me. Well, they will stand before the Lord in the valley of judgment and they will hear on that day, not for me. I never knew you. Depart from me, you worker of iniquity. In the middle of unprecedented devastation, there is hope for the Christian. But even in the middle of astonishing prosperity, there is no hope for the non-Christian. For the Christian and the non-Christian alike, we're going to live our lives, um, whether in great difficulty or great ease, we'll live our lives, and then we will die, whether it's by the coronavirus or it's, it's many decades from now, uh, in our beds, surrounded by family, we will die, and then the judgment. The decision that comes in the Valley of Decision will be for the one a great joy, and for the other a terrible tragedy. For Joel says, for the Christian, it'll be of great joy because everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And then, as he says in verse 16 here, the Lord will be a refuge for His people. Uh, but for the non-Christian, it'll be a time of terrifying judgment. I mean, put yourself in the place of the crops described in verse 13. Yeah, swing the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Come, trample the grapes, for the winepress is full, and the vats overflow. So great is their wickedness. And much of the imagery of, that the book of Joel um, contains is picked up again in the book of Revelation at the end of Scripture. And it makes much the same point there as here. The day of the Lord's deliverance for His people will be the day of the Lord's destruction of His enemies. And the question it poses to each and every one of us listening here uh, this morning is this, 
whose side are you on? Are you among the Lord's people or among his enemies? There are only two sides. The Lord's terrifying judgment will be deserved. And that's the first point this morning. But the second uh, is this, that the Lord's terrifying judgment has been delayed. Uh, this week is Palm Sunday, according to the church calendar. And um, it's a week when the church remembers uh, that the Lord rode into Jerusalem uh, the week before, uh, or, or rather the week of, his crucifixion. He triumphantly rode into Jerusalem and the crowds of people that greeted him there celebrated as he rode in on his donkey. We read these verses in Matthew's Gospel which describe it. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The, the crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Now, why were the people so excited? It was because as they watched Jesus riding into Jerusalem, they thought the day of the Lord was arriving. They expected Jesus the Messiah to deliver all that God had promised through his prophet Joel and through the prophets of the Old Testament, a salvation for his people and destruction for their enemies. But they were only partially right. Uh, they threw their cloaks down as a kind of red carpet for him. They, they waved palm branches as a symbol of national Israel and as a symbol of kingship. Uh, they sang at the top of their lungs uh, and praised the son of David and praised God for him. And because the Romans who oppressed them would surely now they thought be cut off with the sickle. They would be trampled in the wine press but by Friday, they were shouting curses. They beat the one who came to them in the name of the Lord. They killed the son of David. Now, why the change? It was because Jesus came offering salvation to all the wrong people, they thought. Now, he offered forgiveness to his enemies. He offered peace to those who had treated the Lord with contempt. He offered hope and redemption to the oppressors. He, he could come telling the tax collectors and the sinners that they could become God's people and telling Samaritans that they would be welcomed in and telling Roman soldiers uh, that they would receive God's compassion and care. And the crowds thought, if that is the salvation that he has come to offer, then we want no part of it. If he won't crush our enemies, uh, we will crush him. You know what, neither Joel nor any of the Old Testament prophets nor the crowds in that week 
uh, knew or foresaw was that the day of the Lord would come, but not as they expected. It would come in two stages. It would arrive, but not in the way they had thought. Salvation and judgment would come just as promised, but first it would come on Jesus. And then it would come on the multitudes. The day of the Lord came first on Good Friday. When the sun went dark and the Lord spoke from heaven like thunder and the earth shook. All those signs that Joel mentions in these verses uh, are mentioned in the Gospels as Jesus was crucified. On that day, salvation was secured against God's... uh, Salvation was secured for, rather, God's people when his terrifying judgment was poured out on all sin, on Jesus. On that day of the Lord, he took the punishment and the shame that we so rightly deserve so that we could receive the salvation and exaltation that he so rightly deserves, and only he deserves. The day of the Lord came on that day. But the day of the Lord is also coming. Uh, It will come again when Christ comes again in power. On that day, we're told, in 1 Thessalonians 4, he will descend with a loud shout, maybe uh, Joel would say a roar, uh, to gather his people to dwell with him forever. And he will fully and finally wipe out everything that stands opposed to him and to his people. All the sin, all the disease, all the death, all the persecution and the shame, every enemy that opposes him and his people, on that day will be wiped out. And those who persist in rejecting his rule and his son they will face the terrifying judgment of God for themselves. But in these last days, and that is what the scriptures describe the days we live in as, the last days, we live between that first coming and the second coming of the day of the Lord. Salvation has already come, and yet not yet in its fullness. Judgment has already been poured out, and yet rebellion still exists. And our purpose in these last days is to rejoice in the salvation that has been shown on the first day of the Lord, to make that known abroad by all people everywhere, and to warn of the second day of the Lord, the judgment that is to come, and to say, won't you flee Uh, to the Lord for salvation. So in closing, to those who are still rejecting Christ, we say, learn the lesson of this pandemic. You have no hope apart from Jesus, as you have seen everything taken from you over these last few weeks. Uh, So you will see everything that you think you have taken from you. But Jesus offers you salvation today. 
He longs for you uh, to come to Him and receive what He offers. Receive Him before it's too late. And to the Christians we say, hold on to the hope that you have in Christ. Learn the lesson of this pandemic. Neither locusts nor viruses can steal the future glory that you are promised in the Lord Jesus Christ. But God will use this too for your good and for His glory. If you're not a Christian, what better time could you come to the Lord than in the circumstances we're facing now, at this time where we're thinking about His death and resurrection at Easter? And if you are a Christian, uh, what better time to reflect on all that the Lord has done for you as we uh, come to, to remember again His death, His burial, His resurrection, and remember that all that is true of Him is true of His people. Amen.